You're listening to Word on Health, the report with its finger on the pulse of popular medicine with Paul Pennington. Word on Health, for your very best of health. Vascular disease is the collective term for diseases of the veins and arteries. It's as common as cancer and heart disease and accounts for 40% of deaths in the UK, many of which are preventable. Rachel Bell is a consultant vascular surgeon. She's also chair of the Circulation Foundation. Rachel, what are the most common vascular diseases you and your colleagues treat? The commonest is people who don't have enough blood that goes to their legs. They often present initially with pain when they walk, when the disease is more severe, they get pains in their feet just sitting in a chair and we call that peripheral vascular disease and normally it requires treatment in some form to improve the blood supply because otherwise you're at risk of losing your leg. Other conditions that we treat very frequently is where instead of the arteries getting narrowed and blocked, they get bigger and more dilated than they should be and we call that aneurysms and we see that quite commonly in the main blood vessel in the tongue which is called the aorta. Aneurysms harm you in a different way. They get bigger slowly over time and behave a lot like balloons do. So the bigger they get, the more likely they are to go pop. And if they do that, then you become very seriously or very quickly and have a very high chance of dying. So I would say that those are the two main arterial conditions outside of heart disease and stroke that we treat. In my introduction, I highlighted many deaths are preventable. What are the risk factors and what can we all do to help ourselves? You can modify your own risk factors by not smoking, making sure that you take care of your blood pressure and cholesterol, keeping your weight down and avoiding getting diabetes. Exercise is really important. It's good for all of your blood vessels, but it's also good for your cardiovascular health in general. Inevitably, the older you get, the higher the risk. The only thing you can't really manage is your family history, because some of us inherit bad family genes that make us more prone to vascular arterial disease. But many of the other factors are manageable and therefore can reduce your risk and potentially prevent yourself from getting it. Putting you in the picture. This is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. There's been a concerted effort both before and during the pandemic for us to utilise the expertise of local pharmacists for self-treatable conditions. Recent research by Consumer Health Body, the PAGB, has shown that 69% of us who might not have considered pharmacists as their first option before the pandemic are more likely to do so in the future, with an equal number supporting the idea of GP surgeries referring patients to a pharmacist, if appropriate, for a self-treatable condition, rather than arranging a GP consultation. Michelle Riddles is CEO of the PAGB. It's good news because obviously it's taking some of the pressure away from the NHS. Pharmacists play that important part in self-care and medicines access. So the idea of being able to refer to a pharmacy and being seen as a healthcare professional is really, really important. Michelle, back in 2016, a similar study your organisation conducted revealed one in five of us felt that pharmacists were not as qualified as GPs or hospital staff. Positively, your recent research has revealed a sea change in attitudes and that figure has now halved. For those doubters amongst us that remain, reminders of the training that pharmacists receive which qualifies them to be able to help people with self-treatable conditions. Pharmacists go through a very thorough registration process and they are doing up to four years training with additional training in pharmacies themselves. So they are very eminently qualified and they have a lot of knowledge on medicines and how to 
to treat people. So they're very good resource that you can just walk into easily on a day-to-day basis and actually have a conversation with without necessarily having an appointment. Your organisation is calling for a national strategy on self-care. Why is that important? Everybody can hear about the savings that could be made or the increased access that people can have to healthcare professionals and increased access to medicines. But because there isn't that coherent strategy, it does mean that not everybody is talking from the same page. And so we really think that having a strategy would be really positive. This is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. One in three of us suffer from a hidden medical condition or an allergy, the knowledge of which, in the event of an accident or medical emergency, could significantly help paramedics and doctors in assisting a patient's survival and recovery. MedicAlert is the only non-profit-making registered charity providing a life-saving identification system via a bracelet, necklace or a watch. Chris Lunn is from the organisation. On one side is the international sign of medicine, and on the other side are some specific details about you, such as your unique reference number, your primary health condition. If somebody were to find you unconscious in the street, they can refer to the emblem because they'll know to look for it on your pulse point, and they can find out about you, what your medication is, who you are, who your next of kin is, and make sure that you get the right treatment at the right time. Chris, I understand that for people with hidden illnesses, this can prove to be vital, but also many people are signing up so that their next of kin details are available. Recently, we were aware of a a lady who was found on a bus. The lady had a form of dementia and she got to the end of the bus journey and I think she was a little bit confused about where she was. The bus driver was able to take her to the police station and the police station spotted her medical emblem and were able to find out who she was, who her next of kin was and reunite her with her family who were obviously worried about her whereabouts. Putting you in the picture, this is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. It's a chronic and debilitating condition that affects around 2 million women across the UK. Research shows it's poorly understood and can take up to 11 years for a correct diagnosis to be made. Diane Hicks is from the patient support charity Endometriosis UK. While most doctors do a good job, there is still a level of ignorance about endometriosis, which is not surprising, but is disappointing. Diane, to help us all be more familiar with this condition, can you explain what endometriosis is? It's a degenerative condition where cells that are usually found in the lining of the womb occur in other parts of the body. Every month a woman goes through hormonal changes and naturally releases hormones which cause the lining of the womb to increase in preparation for a fertilised egg. And then if pregnancy doesn't occur, the lining breaks down and blood is released as a period. Endometriosis cells react in exactly the same way, except that they're located outside of the womb. So during the monthly cycle, hormones stimulate the endometriosis and cause it to grow and then break down and bleed. But this in Internal bleeding, unlike a period, doesn't have any way of leaving the body and this can lead to inflammation, pain and formation of scar tissue can form cysts and also affects fertility as well. I spoke in my introduction of how it can take up to 11 years for a correct diagnosis to be made. Why is that? There's a number of reasons. The first reason is that young girls are very often told that it's normal to have pain with period, so they may not necessarily go to a doctor. The major other reason is the symptoms can mimic other conditions. The other thing is that some doctors just do not know enough about endometriosis. Do we know what causes endometriosis and what about treating the disease? There isn't any one definitive cause, but there has been a genetic link proved, so if a mother has it, the daughter has a 50% higher chance of getting it. There is no cure at present. But there's lots of treatments that can help manage the condition, mainly hormone treatments and also surgical treatments. Putting you in the picture, this is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. 
Recognising that people's health is determined primarily by a range of social, economic and environmental factors, social prescribing seeks to address people's needs in a holistic way. Bev Taylor is from the National Academy for Social Prescribing. What social prescribing does, it provides a new kind of worker called the social prescribing link worker, mainly in GP practices. They have time for people that the GPs and others might not have, and it's having a real impact in both reducing pressure in primary care, but also helping people to get the right support. Bev, in England, recruitment to expand the number of social prescribing link workers is underway. What's the situation like across the UK? Social prescribing's been around in Scotland for quite a few years now, and they've had community link workers and welfare rights workers for a while. So we've learned from Scotland. I should also say that Wales and Northern Ireland have got social prescribing, and the National Academy for Social Prescribing that I'm involved in, we're developing a global alliance. We're all waking up to the idea that it's about the wider determinants of health, your housing, whether you've got access to green space, the food that we eat, how active we are, that if we can support communities to really support each other on all of those things, we can promote well-being and that has a positive impact on everybody. Give us some examples of social prescribing in action. A lot of people go to GP practices because they might have problems with housing, they might have debt, they might have worries and mental health concerns that's making them feel ill. So they go to the GPs because that's the obvious place to go. But often the GP feels like, well, there's a limit to what I can do, which is why the link workers are helping people to understand what's underlying, what are the things that are most important that are impacting on their health and connecting them to debt counselling or to speak to the housing organisations about their housing situations or any of that practical stuff. There's also quite a few people who might want to get involved in any kind of community activities, whether it's cycling or walking or making food together or community allotments, whatever. There's so much out there depending on what the person's interested in. If we are socially prescribed a service, is it something we'd have to pay for? What link workers will do is try to find free local community activities and community support that's already there that they can better link people up to. Sometimes community groups might charge for their activities but it will be a minimal amount and we will always try and find free activities that enable people to get involved. The Thriving Communities Fund supports local voluntary community faith and social enterprise projects that bring together place-based partnerships to improve and increase the range and reach of available social prescribing community activities. Vicky Kennedy is Social Prescribing Manager for Sunderland Culture. We've done some incredible things so far and have lots of things planned around a whole selection of different people across the communities to improve their health and well-being. We ran a programme for prevention of trips and falls with dance artists who've helped elderly people to feel more confident on their feet 
and get them moving and dancing again. We're looking at how singing can improve lung capacity. So people with COPD or asthma can improve that lung capacity. And seeing the faces of children take part in something that often they don't get the chance to do. Or elderly people with dementia, you know, sometimes you see how music or creativity taps into something that sort of brings them back to life, brings them, gives them that spark again. It's incredibly impactful. Word on Health. On air and online 52 weeks of the year with Paul Pennington. Word on Health. Your personal prescription for your very best of health.